0: Good morning. Our scripture lesson today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 45. And you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give them your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: <clears throat> Thank you, Carl, for reading our scripture lesson this morning. And uh, again, how blessed we have been by the worship band. And of course, as a father, I'm very proud of my daughter today <clears throat> for sharing this song. She didn't want to do that for y'all for a while. <laughs> as we have heard God's word and we seek its meaning for our life and for God to, spirit to speak to us, let us pause and ask for God's blessings and his presence with us. Come, Holy Spirit. We have lifted you up in praise. We have experienced your presence already in this place. Now, through the power of your word, God, we ask for you to instruct our lives. I humbly ask that you would use me as your instrument to speak your words, that bring glory to you and you alone. I ask that you would open all of our hearts here in this place, that we would be shaped and anew to the people you call us to be. So come, Holy Spirit. Bless this moment in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're actually continuing in a series of sermons that we began last Sunday, talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The most important, the most influential sermon that Jesus ever preached. Because in this sermon, he's laying out his vision for what our lives should look like as his followers. And if you know anything about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you know that... This is a collection of sayings that are very difficult or very hard sayings. Uh, you read these things, you begin to wonder very quickly, how can anybody uh, live this way all the time, every day in the world that we live in? Is this even possible? <clears throat> well, as we talked about last week, this is Jesus's vision for what we are to strive to be in life as his followers. Uh, we will probably never attain this uh, status or this, this uh, place in our discipleship, of, uh, except on the other side of eternity <laughs> with God. But uh, this is what we strive to live toward. This is what we strive to live into as his followers. And the passage that we have with us today... It's another one of those difficult uh, teachings. But uh, he begins by saying something that he says over and over throughout this sermon at different times. He says, you have heard that it was said of old, but I say to you. You've heard these sayings of Jesus as he begins with that. Well, most people would think, "Okay, Jesus is trying to undo the Old Testament, the law of Moses that's taught there. And that's not at all what's taking place here. After all, Jesus was a good Jew. What Jesus is trying to do, he's trying to interpret the law of Moses for us. In many ways, he's trying to reinterpret it. He's saying the law is right, that you should not murder one another. But he says what God is mostly concerned about is what's going on inside of your heart that would cause you to want to murder someone in the first place. (laughs) So Jesus is talking about the matters of our heart. He's trying to help us to understand what God's intentions were, Behind the law of Moses, uh, we see this happening in the text that we have before us today, as Jesus talks about the subject of forgiveness. Now, here Jesus is trying to teach us how we are to respond to our enemies, how we are to respond to those who have hurt us, uh, how how are we to to deal with the resentment that we feel toward others that have wronged us? And you know what we discovered in this sermon, if you looked at it, you you quickly recognize that most of what Jesus teaches us here is in direct contrast to the values that are taught to us in this world. And there's no difference here. What Jesus is teaching us about forgiveness flies in the face of thousands of years of legal precedent. I mean, if you go back to 1780 B.C., you have the Code of Hammurabi that was developed, which was the legal system of justice that was used throughout the ancient Near East for, for many centuries. In fact, the Law of Moses actually reflected much of the Code of Hammurabi, some things taken word for word from it. And beginning in that time, uh, which you have, the Code of Hammurabi was, was a, um, a way that justice is based upon the idea that the way that you keep society in line and the way that you make sure that uh, justice is being fairly distributed amongst everybody, is that you try to follow uh, retribution. You bring retribution upon those who violate the law. In other words, if you do something wrong, uh, you are to be punished for it. And we recognize this. This is actually what our own system, legal system, is built upon of justice. Uh, when you do something wrong, you are to be punished. And the punishment is meant to try to keep you from doing that same crime again. But it's also meant to restore justice to those who have been wronged or violated by that uh, person who who harmed them. So it's a way of ordering society. And that's what has been known for thousands of years as lex Telianus, the uh, law of retribution. And, you know, this is uh, where... Our own system of justice came from, is developed. So it's really hard for us to imagine any other form of a legal system of justice than this. But here comes Jesus in the midst of this, and he um, he calls into question, it seems, this uh, law of retribution, uh, the lex and He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 41, he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. And then he gives us three illustrations of what he's talking about. He says, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, you are to turn the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you for your coat, uh, give your cloak as well. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, then also go a second mile. And here it seems as if Jesus is really just reversing completely this law of retribution, turning it on its head. In a lot of cases, he's actually doing that. But I think what's going on here is he's trying to teach us a better way to live, a better way of life than the law of retribution. He's trying to show us the power that is found in being beatitude people, uh, living the life of the beatitudes, which we talked about last week. For instance, <clears throat> in first century Rome, when a Roman soldier would um, uh, backhand a, a Jew with the, the back of his hand, strike him on the cheek, that was a way of humiliating him or her. With a way of saying that you are less than me. Jesus says, when that happens to you, turn the other cheek. Show him something that's stronger. For by doing that, by turning the other cheek, you show him who the stronger person really is. This is the power of meekness. Uh, and then he says in the second illustration, he talks about when someone wants to sue you to take your coat. Uh, What he was actually talking about was the garment that is under the outer cloak. And so he says, when somebody wants to take that from you, don't wait till they sue you to get it. Offer your cloak as well. And by this, you are showing strength, not weakness. And then the third illustration he gives, he talks about how a Roman soldier could legally require a Jew to carry his pack for one mile. Uh, Legally, he could require him to do that and no more. But Jesus says, if that happens to you, and the Roman soldier asks you to carry their pack for them, I'll offer to carry it for two. Again, you're demonstrating strength here. And when I hear that, I love that idea. You know, This is a way that we could demonstrate a greater power. And I think that maybe I could do that in um, some circumstances. But when you try to apply that to other circumstances, it gets a little bit more challenging. Is Jesus saying that we are not to resist any evildoers? When somebody does something wrong to us, we're supposed to just let it go, not try to get even. If somebody wants to rob me of my billfold, uh, am I supposed to say to them, uh, well, my debit card's in there. Would you like my pen also? (laughs) If somebody hits your brand new car in Walmart and they come up to you and say, I'm so sorry, I hit your car. Here's my insurance card. Are you supposed to say, oh, never mind. It's no big deal. (laughs) What about when people hurt our children or try to hurt our children or in the cases of murder? Don't resist. Don't try to get even. Is Jesus really trying to say that we should completely let go of this law of retribution? Well, some folks look at these words of Jesus and they say, you know, these are just godly ideals that really won't work in the real practical world. So just eh, just kind of be taken as a you know wishful ideals. But I believe, as we talked about last week, that Jesus is serious about these teachings. I believe what Jesus is giving us here is a vision of what this world could really be like if you were to live by his teachings and take them seriously. When I watch the news and I see what's going on in Israel, and it's clear to me that the Palestinians, the Israelis, are living under that uh, lex talionis, the law of retribution. Because when you hear of a car bomb that goes off in Jerusalem killing five people, you can count on the fact that in a few days later there's going to be a helicopter that's going to strike the Palestinians. And then you, can, then you can count on the fact that sometime later there's going to be the streets are bloodied in Jerusalem again uh, in retaliation for that. And you, you hear this in the news going back and forth, back and forth constantly. And you want to ask yourself, where does it ever end? I mean, if you live under the law of retribution, where does it end? I love those words of Mahatma Gandhi. He said, in a world where an eye for an eye prevails, eventually everybody goes blind. When I see such things happening in Israel, it reminds me of Jesus. Jesus, when he walked on that hillside, he looked over the city of Jerusalem and he wept, saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, would that you would know the things that made for peace, but you do not. I have to wonder what this world would really look like if we took these teachings of Jesus seriously and applied them. Well, what is true of what we're talking about here is also true of the text that we have before us and Jesus talking about dealing with our enemies. Um, in verses 43 to 45, Jesus says these words. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And again, it seems here that, that uh, Jesus is you know, turning that law of retribution upside down and doing away with it completely. And you have to wonder... How would this work, really, in in the real world? I mean, you got this kid at school who's spreading rumors about you, and they're saying false things about you, turning your friends against you, and Jesus says, you're supposed to love your enemies. How do you do that? Or in the workplace, uh, that promotion that you were working toward and hoping to get and was going to be yours except going to somebody else because they said something that was untrue about you. Or um, someone who has hurt you so deeply in the relationship that you don't know how you're ever going to get over that. Jesus says, you're supposed to love them. How do you do that? Well, again, Jesus is trying to get us to see that there is a power greater than the law of retribution. Something happens, amazing things happen when hate encounters love. One of the greatest examples of this in my lifetime was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Uh, during the civil rights movement, he was pushing for a nonviolent response to his enemies. And in one of his most famous sermons, which he was actually preaching on the text that we have before us today, he was preaching the context of being shot down with water cannons and attacked by dogs. And this is what he said. This morning, as I look into your eyes at all my brothers in Alabama and all over the world, I say to you, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. And I'm foolish enough to believe that through the power of this love, somewhere men of the most recalcitrant bent can be transformed. I think that's what Jesus was talking about when he said we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And yet, you you wonder, can that be? Can we really apply that to the nation we're living in today with such divisiveness and ugly talk? And you know, Is it really possible? Well, Jesus takes these two ideas, letting go of the law of retribution and loving your enemies, and he kind of brings them together in a conclusion in chapter 6. The disciples come to him and they ask him, okay, Lord, teach us to pray like you do. And Jesus gave that famous prayer we know as the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, you're to pray like this. Now, understand, he didn't mean for us to pray those words explicitly every time we pray. This was to be a model for our own prayers. But he was trying to say to us that in this prayer, any time that you pray, there's this element of the call to forgive. You know the prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Uh, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. A lot of times we say this prayer, we don't even think about what we're saying. But it's clear here that Jesus is saying that every time you pray, you need to recognize that this is a key part of what it means to be a follower of mine. This willingness to forgive others. And that helps you to understand why Jesus says the next two things that he says in verses 14 and 15, where he climaxes this prayer by saying, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Wow, that's a hard saying. Does this mean that if I continue to hold on to my bitterness and resentment toward others, that God's not going to forgive me? Does it mean that my forgiveness is somehow related to my willingness to extend mercy to others? I think that's exactly what he's saying here. Uh, But you have to realize when your heart is hardened towards someone else, you're keeping God at bay in your life because there's a separation between you and God. You know things are not right. So learning how to forgive others is critical to our own forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, I would guess as we hear these words and we see these teachings of Jesus, we say to ourselves, you know, I, I want to live like that. I, I would love to be able to live like that. I'd love to live in a world where we could love our enemies, where we could pray for one another and we don't seek to retaliate against each other and where we, we love one another. I mean, we'd love to live in a world like that, but how can that actually be? Well, I think Jesus does give us, thankfully, some uh, some strategies, some uh, helps here of how we might can make You'll be able to forgive one another in our times of conflict. I want to look at some of those as we look at this here this morning. Let's look first at Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24. This is where Jesus addresses what should happen when you uh, have wronged someone else. When you've wronged someone else or when someone perceives that you have wronged them, this is what you were to do, Jesus says. He says, when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar And go first be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. So what Jesus seems to be saying here is that if during the worship service here you remember, you recognize that you have hurt someone, or there's someone who thinks you've hurt them, what you need to do is get up and you need to go try to seek amends with that person. And immediately. I mean that's how serious Jesus says this is. His point here is that as a follower of his we are to make this trying to amend and reconcile with each other a priority in our lives. Because we don't want this separation to take place between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, God's not going to allow that in heaven. And he doesn't want it to be happening here on earth. I've had people say to me, you know, well, I've tried to reconcile with that person. I, I tried to talk to him. They won't talk to me. They slammed the door in my face. Well, okay, Continue to try. You try writing a note uh, to apologize. You send a text message. You send an email. Whatever. You try to do whatever you can to try to bring reconciliation in that situation, to say humbly, I am so sorry that I hurt you. I don't even know what I did to hurt you, but I I, I want to make this right. I'm sorry. Can't, it, can we talk? Can we work this out? We try not to let the sun go down on our anger between one another as Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ. We do all that we can to try to reconcile. And then in Matthew 8:15, Jesus instructs us what to do when someone uh, has wronged us, specifically in the church. This is what he says. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out that fault, point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This scripture was actually used to uh, excommunicate people from the church uh, based on what Jesus says here about if someone is failing to live the life of the gospel, they should be treated like a, a tax collector or a Gentile. And even today, people have used this to justify uh, not having anything to do with those uh, they don't like, or those who are different from them or they disagree with. Yet, do you remember how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors? He didn't shun them. He didn't push them away. And neither should we. Instead, we should try to treat them as someone... Who is lost, Uh, basically. I mean, we should try to treat, love them as as Christ did, in a Christ-like way. We don't love them as one who is appropriately living their lives, but we love them as people who are lost, the kind of people that Jesus came to save. But what you need to recognize in this passage is, is that it's all about reconciliation and restoration. Uh, it's about how when you see someone headed in the wrong direction, your task is to try to redirect them, is try to restore that relationship, is try to reconcile that person and that relationship to one another. This is what it's all about. And the first thing that you're supposed to do in this process, Jesus says, is to go to that person directly and talk to them alone. But what really happens. (laughs) I mean, the truth is, that's usually the last thing we're willing to do. We're willing to talk to anybody and everybody else about this disagreement or what we think about this person. Uh, Talking to that person alone is usually the last thing we do, right? You know I'm right. (laughs) That's what we do. We don't go directly to the people. We just talk about it. The truth is, when you talk to everybody else about the issue and not to that person directly, you're only making it worse. So Jesus gives us these steps for how we to deal with conflict within the church and outside. And I firmly believe that if we took these words of Jesus seriously and practiced them, 99.9% of the conflict that we have within the church or outside of the church with other people could be resolved. But Jesus goes on. There are some other steps he says you can do to be able to forgive. And one of those is to try to walk in the other person's shoes. When you try to walk in another person's shoes you're trying to understand what has happened in their life to cause them to see things the way they do. Uh, you're not trying to excuse that person's bad behavior, or, but you're trying to understand what's going on in that person's heart, what's going on in that person's life that has shaped them uh, or caused them to respond in this way. Oftentimes we'll try to walk in the other person's shoes and understand where they're coming from. That takes some listening, which we don't do well at, but if you do that, then that often helps you to be able to offer mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. You see those people in a different light. A second thing Jesus says is to recognize our own shortcomings. Uh, this is how he says it in chapter 7, verse 5. He says, get the log out of your own eye before you start trying to meddle with the splinter or the, the, the thing in the other people's eyes. And I think he's right here. Um, before we withhold forgiveness from somebody else, we have to recognize that we... Are broken, imperfect people, too. We've all done wrong things. We've all hurt other people. And when we begin to recognize our own shortcomings. It helps us to extend mercy and forgiveness to others. Another thing Jesus teaches us is to pray for those who have wronged us. Repeatedly, you hear Jesus saying this. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who have wronged you. I think this is because it's, it's often only when we pray that we're able to come to that place in our life where we can extend or even think about forgiveness. Sometimes the hurt is just too deep that it's only through the grace of God and through the power of His Holy Spirit at work in our lives that we're able to let go of that resentment in a way that we can begin to forgive. Sometimes only Jesus can help us do that. And so we pray, we pray, and we pray. Another thing we have to recognize is the damage that unforgiveness does to us. The truth is forgiveness is in our own best interest. I love the one who whoever came up with this by saying uh, resentment is like uh, drinking poison and hoping that it hurts the other person. It just doesn't work that way. Rabbi Harold Kushner compares this in a book. I think he does a really good job at this when he talks about his book has entitled What Forgiveness Means. And this is what he says. He writes, a woman in my congregation comes to me. She's a single mother, divorced, working to support herself and her three young children. She says to me, since my husband walked out on us, every month is a struggle to pay our bills. I have to tell my kids that we don't have money to go to the movies while he's living it up with his new wife in another state. How can you tell me to forgive him, Rabbi? I answer her, I'm not telling you to forgive him because what he did is acceptable. It wasn't. It was mean. It was selfish. I'm asking you to forgive him because he doesn't deserve the power to live in your head and to turn you into a bitter, angry, and miserable woman. I would like to see him out of your life emotionally as completely as he is out of your life physically. But you keep holding on to him. You're not hurting him by holding on to that resentment. You're only hurting yourself. How true that is. Almost always, forgiveness is in our best interest. The greatest recipient of forgiveness is us. And then finally, there's trust. Trust that God can redeem our sufferings. And this is one of those places that our faith intersects with our real life. When you look back over your life, we can all see that it was those painful, most difficult times in our lives it shaped us in the people who we are today, a big part of who we are. You look back in your life and you can see that the painful experiences were also the, the experiences where God was able to use you the greatest. Now, let's be clear. God does not cause the painful experiences in our life, but God can redeem those things. He can use them for good when we entrust them to him. And, you know, when, when you do that, when we are, this is why we're called to be faithful to Jesus in these teachings. This is why we're called to, to trust him with the outcome of whatever it's going to be. Because we know that he loves us. He's going to keep us through this. Trusting in this, that God can redeem our suffering, helps us to be able to forgive in those situations where it seems almost impossible to do so. You know, when it came to forgiving others, Jesus finally came to a point in his life where he had to demonstrate what this really looked like. And you remember, the illustration that he gave us was on the cross. He's hanging there on the cross, looking down at those who had spit upon him, mocked him, beat him, and crucified him. And what did he do? He prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the world was forever changed because of his act of forgiveness. I don't know that I'll ever be like that, like Jesus. I long to be. I want to be like that. I want to lean into that. I want to try to live that way because I know that the alternative is an unblessed and miserable life. The alternative is to live in a world where an eye for an eye prevails and eventually everybody goes blind. It is to live in a world that is void of love and mercy. Jesus is trying to show us a better way. He's trying to show us, as followers, we are called to, to live out a new world order before people. We're to show people what it means to live a truly blessed life by showing them the power of love. Don't you long to live in a world like that? Well, people, that world begins here today in your life and with me. Let's pray. Gracious God, we hear these words and we recognize how difficult it is. And I, I know you know how difficult it is as well, God, to truly live these things out. And we confess that we have lived within a world that causes us at times to seek retribution and to get even and an eye for an eye. And we've all experienced the misery of that, God. We long for a better world. We long for the world that you give us this vision of help us god forgive us for for not being any different than what the world would have us to be help us to to find a way god to trust you and also